Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because Louis Vuitton shoes, she got too much pride. Her feet are killing her. I call it suicide. But regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies. Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording this week at Paradise Thickness. Quick reminder, make sure you follow us on Twitch to watch us play games like Marvel's Avengers or other superhero video games. The link to the Twitch channel is in our show notes. Lots of Twisty Cape podcasts like Mike's Thick Stack will be dropping over the next few days. So if you have not subscribed, now is the perfect time. Now to the city shoutouts. Welcome back, Barcelona. Hello, Jundai, Brazil. Thanks for checking us out. Williamston, Michigan. We appreciate you, Richardson, Texas. Columbus, Ohio, keeping the streak alive. And finally, our friends in San Francisco are incredible. As always, we start by rating the thickness of my stack. So let's blast off to check out Mike's Thickometer. Oh, yeah. Mike's Thickometer. Thick like a campfire s'more. This week clocks in at it. 9 out of 10 on Mike's Thickometer. Good God, girl. You've been doing some squats. This stack is super thick. Super thick. It's pretty even split between both companies. And this week we start with the DC titles. Up first we have Dark Knight's Death Metal Infinite Hour Extreme. Number one, it's three X's in extreme with the E in the front. So it's E triple X Treme. I gave this a three and a half out of five. This book is a ridiculous and fun read, which is something that you need from non-substantive tie-in issues. This issue has several tie-in stories featuring Lobo in his multiversal role. He starts in a bar looking for information and runs afoul of the Batman Who Frags, a Batman-Lobo mashup. The fight gets broken up by Lex Luthor, who sends Lobo on a death metal acquisition quest. He fights a Grundy-Batman combo... And then comes across Hawkman, who points him to the death metal, only to be chased again by that Batman man. They escape to Gem World, and then Lobo gets to have a little fun. He remakes universes with his story at the origin. So Superman's origin, Batman, and Wonder Woman, but all is Lobo. He's interrupted by Brainiac, who convinces him to stop what he's doing, and says that he's damning the multiverse. Then the Batman who frag attacks... And as he has Lobo on the ropes, he's dispatched to Loboland. Which is <laughs> as ridiculous as it sounds, but I also want to go to there. Brainiac informs Lobo that the key to salvation is in Lobo's blood, which continues in the next issue of Death Metal. By the way, Loboland is a bunch of bizarros, but as Lobo. This book looks awesome. There's a ton of violence, and it could come off as cartoonish nonsense, but at times it's quite visceral. The story, as I said earlier, is an absolute romp and silly time. It may even have an effect on a little larger story, which could be a bonus. I recommend this book over many of the other tie-ins. Next up, Detective Comics number 1030. I gave this a 4 out of 5. This is your DC book of the week. This book continues to amaze me. There are no less than three stories being told here, and I feel when they all converge, we're in for a treat. The first is a story about Chris Nakano's motivation for hating masks and running for office. 
hint, hint, it has to do with him losing his eye. He has a nightmare about losing his eye and Batman's effect on that story. The next portion of the story has to do with Alfred's loss and Damien's rejection of Bruce and the Robin mantle back in Teen Titans. Bruce has to put that on the back burner because he's going to a Bat family meeting. They talk about the growing anti-Bat sentiment in Gotham. Bruce tells them all to give him a shout if they come across Damien. Then they realize they've been set up because no one knows who actually called the meeting. The mirror springs a trap and his group goes after the Bat family and they scatter to the wind. The final portion of the book, final story rather of the book, is about Robin running information from Bruce's cold case book that he stole at the end of last issue. There was an attempt on Bruce's life multiple times and Damien is investigating it and he now has a suspect. Detective Catherine Podolsky, who he seems intent on tracking down. I love the art style of this book. It's dark and line-heavy styles, an awesome compliment to the story they're going for here, especially in the early nightmare portion of the book. I started off thinking that Nakano may be the mirror, but now that seems counterintuitive, which makes it more interesting to read. I look forward to the next issue. Next up we have Flash number 765. I gave this a 3 out of 5. At the end of the last issue, Barry lost his connection to the Speed Force, and we get him moping around about it to start the issue. Alchemy, meanwhile, is wreaking havoc all over Central City as he commits a ton of random crimes and no one seems to be able to stop him. Turns out his ring was stopping him from using his powers because Alchemy did something to the Lyseum in his ring. He fixes it and also rebuffs Iris without realizing it and gives chase to Alchemy again. He encounters Alchemy and gets called Barry, causing Flash to freak out and go to protect Iris. He realizes something that Iris said is critical to this case. The apostrophe placement in Philosopher's Stone can be possessive or plural and shows that there's a multiple personality situation going on here. But, going back to the trickster, this whole thing was a setup to get the Lyseum. I like this better than previous issues, but I feel like the book overall seems to be struggling. It looked good, great even. The story just seems to be slowing down, however, pun intended. I hope that it picks up and becomes a better story soon. Also, the story is called With This Ring, which has certain implications for both Barry and Iris, if the story goes that way, which it kind of seems like it will be. Next up, we have Superman number 27. I gave this a 2 out of 5. Another issue, another drag for me personally. This is an action-heavy issue that starts in the Phantom Zone, with the fight between Clark and Sinmar continuing, but the Phantom King inserts himself into the battle and almost becomes inconsequential because Sinmar puts him down and quickly. There's a quick interlude between Lana and Lois for an interview, but Lois gives Lana her new book to read. Meanwhile, Clark and Sinmar continue to struggle to communicate, but they leave the Phantom Zone and head to Sinmar's system where there's an orange sun and Clark is isolated. Sinmar can finally be understood, and we now know that it's here to bring depowered Clark to his final punishment. I think the book looks good enough. I'm just tired of this story. I think this is like the third issue where we got no dialogue between Clark and Sinmar up until the very end, and it's very frustrating. I understand that it's trying to establish Superman's endless patience and willingness to do all he can to help before resorting to violence, but I also wish the story had done this part like an issue ago. All right. Finally, here we have Wonder Woman number 766. I gave this a three and a half out of five. This issue deals with the direct fallout of last issue. Diana is blind after the plane crash. 
She recounts some of her training, but then starts to get kind of a vision that shows her different things in the world that confuse her. Max grabs the end of the lasso and leads Diana away from the gunfire they're attempting to escape in a castle. Max abandons Diana just as Count Vertigo shows up. Diana ties the lasso of truth around her head like a blindfold and then just kicks so much ass, including Vertigo. Max uses a captive in the castle to send a message to Diana by getting her to throw herself off of the castle and delivering words to Wonder Woman indicating that Max Lord has turned and dares Diana to come for him. She draws her sword and goes after Max. Not sure where this is going, but this issue was pretty fun, both in story and presentation. It's not a great story, however, it is enjoyable. This to me is a problem trying to work with a storyline just so it's accessible to moviegoers if the story isn't a lockdown story. I hope that the confrontation is worthwhile. The art is cool in this story, specifically in the moments we get to see Diana's blind vision. I'm just curious if something else is working on the periphery here. Okay, we'll take a break, and then when we get back, we will do these Marvel stories. Hey everybody, Sam here from the Twisted Cape. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's T Public page, which we have live right now for you to purchase any and all of your clothing needs with Twisted Cape logos on them. We got shirts, socks, maybe. Wow. We got other shirts with hoods on them and they have longer sleeves. So warm. We got everything you could ever want with Twisted Cape logos on them. So, again, please be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's Tee Public page. Check out the link in the description and be sure to pick up your favorite stuff right now. Thanks, everybody. And now, back to Mike's Thick Stack. And we're back. We're going to jump in to Amazing Spider-Man number 52. I gave this a four and a half out of five. This is your Marvel book of the week. This book took some serious swings this week, and oh man. Spidey and Kindred finally square up face-to-face, and it's wild. Pete sees his exhumed loved ones as Kindred just antagonizes them, which causes Pete to get physical, especially when Kindred says that Pete killed them all. This fight is awesome. They're relatively even matched, and then Spidey opts to go hard. He beats Kindred back and punches him so hard that his hand goes straight through Kindred's body, and then this fight takes a turn. Spidey starts getting rocked, and then he gets thrown outside, and he sees the possessed Order of the Web wreaking havoc on his city. Pete sees Gwen about to throw Miles off of a bridge, and begs to be killed to stop this madness. Kindred agrees, and the Order goes back to normal. Miles wakes up in time to save himself. Pete sees all of them go back to normal, and then Kindred snaps Peter's neck. I mean, this issue was wild, and it looked so fucking beautiful. Gleason does an amazing, pun intended, job in this issue. This issue had a ton. Payoff from a building of series of stories, a breakneck pace, ha ha ha, breathtaking art, and real consequences. There's more story to tell, obviously, but I wish this issue were just a little longer. All right. Now we have Amazing Spider-Man number 52.LR. This is one of those fill-in stories. I gave this a three and a half out of five. The story from Amazing Spider-Man is continued here and fills in more gaps. There are really three stories going on here with the emergence of a possible emergence of another one. For starters, Mary Jane wakes up and finds Norman there watching over her like a fucking creep. He thinks that Peter is in danger from Harry, which... MJ is in doubt about, but Norman and Kafka say that MJ is the key to solving all the problems here. 
Sin Eater, meanwhile, is busy luring out prey. He's procured a biological weapon which converts people into spiders to lure out Morlin, which is genius. Morlin is hungry and looking for some spiders. The biggest story follows Doctor Strange, Black Cat, and the Order of the Web. The Order wakes up in time to save the people they put in danger with the help of Doctor Strange, who comes up with a huge save. Doctor Strange brings everyone up to speed on the demon that they are up against and the role Black Cat has played up until here. He takes them to the Sanctum Sanctorum where they try to find Peter. Steven puts Felicia in charge of guarding the hand of the Vishanti and takes the Order of the Web to the Astral Plane where it seems like they're being hunted by a figure that looks a lot like a possessed MJ. I like this issue as well, but after the last Amazing Spider-Man title, it falls a bit flat. It's still good. I'm waiting for all the pieces to fall into place and hopefully the payoff from reading these tie-ins is huge, which I think it will be. Also, it looks great as well. Just strong art performance from the Spider-Books this week. Next up, we have Champions Outlawed, number two. I give this a three out of five. Picking up where the first issue left off, we get the first look into the re-education center that the government seems to be running. It's messed up because it seems like their basic freedoms are easily being infringed on, and if they find a way to use their powers, the response is quick and brutal. The city has responded to their young heroes being taken away with protests in the streets. As they're met with counter-protesters, the core champions intervene, and some people turn on them. The team then goes to a sulking Ironheart, who has largely not been a part of all of this. They try to talk to Riri, who doesn't want to be an active participant in all of this, and just tries to sit at home. After some verbal jabs coming from everyone, Cradle closes in on the team, and they briefly contemplate giving up. Viv Vision, who is watching from afar, begs that they do before she climbs onto a bus, as the champions do battle with government forces, trying not to get taken. This has been a better book, but I'm hoping I don't get let down. I know I made some comparisons to Civil War and that Fallout before, and some of those comparisons are still there, but there's a lot of potential for this series moving forward. Visually, despite a lot of bright settings, it's an overall darker book. I'm not sure if that's intentional or just the specific style of the artists on this book. I'm kind of unsure how to feel about it. Next up, we have Iron Man number three. I gave this a four out of five. Man, Tony is struggling. This issue sees Tony face rejection as Stark and as Iron Man, and he's lashing out from behind the mask. He's grown increasingly more angry and detached, but he's dealing with so much that you almost understand it. I mean, the Melter breaks into his house and melts his car, and Tony almost flat out murders him. Before that, he randomly visits the school, and they crawl up his ass about not signing in and making an appointment, which makes sense, especially in this day and age. He gets on a plane with Patsy, flying coach, and acts like a bit of a jackass to Patsy and she unloads on him about how she decided to kill herself previously. She rubs it in that she's not his life coach, just a friend with her own problems. After the alien, Tony visits the Tealhard Lightning site that he's been promising funding for. As he's inspecting the site, he's blasted by lightning and surrounded by a few villains, including Unicorn, who they've been hunting. Hellcat shows up and rescues Iron Man and they both eventually get blasted by Korvac. Tony is revived by his suit while Patsy seems to be dead, and Tony feels like it's all his fault. First of all, I love how this book looks. Like I said in a previous episode, the faces in this book are spectacular. It just has a look and feel to it that I feel like hasn't been around for a very long time. And I love the way that Tony is dealing with some mental issues because it makes him somehow more relatable and more of a dick at the exact same time. I hope this stays at this quality for a long time. Next up, we have... Savage Avengers, number 14. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. This issue is, again, just another fun romp. 
At the top, Magic and Conan, a pair I would not be sad to see more of, recruit the Juggernaut by ripping their way through an underground bar for villains. He's paid handsomely, and he's ready to fuck somebody up. Next for recruitment is the Black Knight, who is busy ruining the clan with his Pegasus. They move on to their task, obtaining the Eye of Agamotto from Sadurang, an Asgardian dragon. Using portals, Magic sends Juggernaut into the air, high above the dragon, and he promptly begins to sing the theme song for the Greatest American Hero TV show. YouTube it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Kona meets the dragon head-on and asks for the amulet, which Sadurang clearly declines. Black Knight strikes first, and as the dragon is angry and chasing him, Conan jumps onto his pegasus. In the meantime, Juggernaut screams the biggest line from the theme song of the Greatest American Hero song that he's singing, just as he lands on Sadarang, making him convert to his Asgardian humanoid form. The team asks for the eye again, and they get told they're going to be killed by Sadarang. Again, the book looks glorious. I cannot tell you how beautiful this book is. There's a definite style they want, and they get it every time. And the story is fun. I don't hate watching clansmen get their asses kicked. Not one bit. And also, Juggernaut versus an Asgardian dragon? I'll take that book every day. Nothing really happened to move the plot forward, but I genuinely enjoyed this title. Okay, now we're going to go ahead and wrap up with the X of Swords, Ten of Swords crossover with these three issues here quickly. Marauders number 15, I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. The X crossover got me a little confused right at the beginning. The world is in ruins and on fire. Saturnine tells Logan that what he saw is a possible outcome if he attempts his assassination, which makes sense based off of the last issue. It all happened in his head. He sits down again, and Cypher is picking off his food, which Logan quickly realizes is poisoned. War basically admits to attempted poison. Cypher is rescued due to the White Sword stepping up and healing him. Meanwhile, in a funny set of panels, Apocalypse and Genesis throw some shade at each other for how the kids were raised. <laughs> Saturnine explains that there's an attempt on her life to Brian, who gets mad at Wolverine. He figured it out very quickly. Again, Wolverine spends the majority of this issue being a dick. Dinner starts over and has some fun, awkward moments, like Wolverine eating a scarab in front of Death, who clearly reveres scarabs, or Logan eating a unicorn despite Storm's objection. Magic and Cable testing Iska's ability to be unbeaten with some really fun Carnival-style games. Finally, matchups are set for the next morning, starting with Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, facing off against Iska to the death. This issue looks good, but not great. And the story is fun, and builds off of the small plot points from other issues, and really cements our timeline, and the mutants are set to do battle. Alright, next up we have Excalibur number 14, I gave this a 4 out of 5. It's now done. And Betsy's having a mental conversation with Jubilee about what's about to happen as Iska shows up in her prep tent. Iska offers Betsy a forfeit so she isn't killed, but if she does fight, Iska warns herself not to get humiliated. They step out in a battleground like you'd probably see at a renaissance fair. The fight gets started and Betsy goes on the offensive. At one point, Iska swings her sword, which Betsy parries, but the sword begins to shatter into pieces like glass, and so does Betsy. This clearly upsets the X-Men, and as they start a bit of a dust-up with Saturnine, she tells them to prepare for a party. She motions to Cypher to be taken away from the Krakoans and bathe the Blood Moon from the Arakkoans. Cypher cannot understand B, which is new to him, because his mutant powers don't be able to understand languages. Magic checks on Doug, who's being dressed by a bunch of women, and when he arrives at the site, he realizes that he's being married off, not forced into battle. 
They exchange vows just as Jubilee and her dragon attack. Doug pleads with Bane not to do anything, and she kisses him, cementing their marriage, I suppose. Saturnine sways the dragon to come down, and Storm catches Jubilee from being thrown off. Saturnine awards both teams a point as the ceremony comes to the end, and she gets a dragon now. This is a really busy issue, and that's a compliment for me. A big death, a game-changing status quo shift, and now there's a dragon in play? That's a lot. Keep this moving. The art is great, too. From the dragon attack to the wedding garb to the shattering of Betsy Braddock, this whole thing was awesome start to finish. Next up, we have Wolverine number 7. I gave this a 4 out of 5. This issue has more contests, so let's get right into it. Magic squares off with Pog or Pog, who she met at dinner in the last issue, and their battle is an arm wrestling competition. This is funny because half her arm fits into his hand, so he clearly wins that. Wolverine fights Summoner in a fight to the death. Wolverine kills Summoner, but loses a point because the the death is the actual point of the contest. Araka leads 4-1 to one after this. Storm and Logan have to score off next in a drinking contest. Krakoa gains a point here no matter what. Storm and Logan drink and get drunk and are about to hook up when suddenly Wolverine is whisked away. Solemn and War square off, and because Solemn and Logan made a bargain, Logan takes Solemn's place. Before Solemn leaves, he tells War that Logan has just killed her son. In this battle, the first to sever an appendage wins, which Logan wins, putting Arako up 5-2. to two. I can say that this issue squarely places this contest as something I never expected, which is great. As this thing races towards a conclusion, I feel like it's going to get even more insane. It looks great, especially with some montage insanity and action pieces. Fantastic. I really hope you're reading this. Okay, as we start to wrap up the show, if you want to be on the show, hit me up on Twitter at SpiderMike29. Next week will be two weeks worth of issues, so we will have a super thick stack, so be prepared for a longer episode. Looking forward to that week... Uh, We have, on the DC side, Action Comics number 1027, Detective Comics 1031, Death Metal number 5, Batman 103, Justice League Dark number 20. I'm looking forward to those specifically. On the Marvel end, Amazing Spider-Man number 53, Daredevil number 24, Hulk number 40, Mortal Hulk number 40, and the X of Swords conclusion. We've got some great stuff on YouTube, so make sure you're subscribed and don't miss a bit of our content. We have some merch up on Tee Public, so check the link in the show notes to get your hands on some of that sweet, sweet gear. That is all the time we have for this week. Of course, make sure you subscribe to The Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform or just listen on thetwistedcape.com. We're at The Twisted Cape, no spaces, on every social media platform. Facebook, The Gram, Twitter, YouTube. Make sure you tune in weekly on Wednesday to The Twisted Cape's live show on Facebook or YouTube and live in them comments. We go over them at the end of each and every show. Finally, feel free to shoot us feedback on this show through the Twisted Cape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in, so until next time, you still killing them hoes. Stay safe, wear a mask, stay twisted.